Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's word and his presence to change your life. The title of the message today is Christian Confrontation. We're just going to jump right out of the presence of God into a fight. Uh, such a great transition. Um, I'm so good at this. Uh, Christian Confrontation. I'll be honest with you, Keith had asked me if, if today that if I would speak on, uh, on parenting. He's doing a series, Reign in Life. And when he asked me uh, several weeks back, you know, when I was my turn to preach, he knew he was going to be out of town. He said, hey, I'd really love for you to speak on parenting. Would you do that? And I was like, sure. And, um, and I still will, just not today, because uh, I just felt really strong that this was on my heart. He had heard me preach this, or he had heard that I preached this in Midland a few weeks ago. He's been hearing me just unpack this to him and some of our leadership team, and he and I talked, and he said, hey, you do whatever you, you, do whatever you want. And, um, and so I, I really feel strong that this is a message that I'm supposed to preach today, uh, even on the heels of... And, to be honest with you, today feels like a, a bit of a monumental occasion where you get the opportunity to preach on a Sunday morning on the heels of uh, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, such a phenomenal thing for our country. And uh, just, just understand this. I'm going to say some things that are probably going to offend most everybody in here eventually, but uh, I don't mean to be offensive. I'm just going to kind of be honest and open. I, I'm okay with us having a different opinion if you are, because uh, that's going to be the case. And I, I'll just say this. It's a it is such a kingdom thing that happened. And when uh, I shared this with the first service, I might as well share it with y'all just so we're all on, on even terms. But, you know, Donald Trump ran for office twice, and I voted for him once. In fact, the time I didn't vote for him, my wife did. So we were a house divided, therefore didn't stand. Just preacher joke. Anyway, um, no, the first time he ran, I'll just be honest with you, I was so repulsed by so many things about him uh, that, uh, and to, to be clear, I didn't vote for the other side either. No judgment if you did. I'm just saying I didn't. I voted for someone that I was 100% convinced was not going to be the president of the United States because of my vote. But I wanted to be able to sleep at night, and I went with my conviction. I hope you do the same. And so I, did, I didn't vote for him the first time. voted for him the second time. And the second time I realized, wait a minute, I think he's fighting a battle. I think he's fighting a battle that uh, very few would be willing to fight. And I heard President Biden say the other day uh, in a, he addressed the country after the, the announcement he, uh, in, in his, it seemed like an attempt to, dis, you know, disparage uh, Donald Trump, but he said, you know, former pre Republican presidents have appointed justices that all have acknowledged this Roe versus Wade, and one president, and when he said this, I just, it just hit me, he said, one president appointed three justices, and so he was kind of blaming Trump for what we're dealing with in our country, and what he meant to be blame, I went and went, wow, I need to be very appreciative for the sovereignty of God to put in who he wants to put in even, because uh, let's just be honest, did anybody think Donald Trump was going to win the first time? I, I mean, <laughs> no, no one really could have thought that. I remember driving back, I was working on a, I was consulting for an oil and gas company and working on a ranch in South Texas, and I was driving home the night of the election, and Leanne called me, she goes, you're not going to believe this. I'd gone out of service in a bad spot and come back in, she goes, you're not going to believe this, he's actually, he's got a chance, and I was like, no, he doesn't. And so, the I, 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 only reason I say that Again, I, this is really not a political statement. This is an appreciation standpoint. I'm just thankful that even um, 
the, God is so sovereign. The Bible says he holds the heart of the king in his hand and he turns it whichsoever way he desires. And um, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. God cares about these babies that he formed in the womb. I know there's going to be a lot of talk in the coming days as, as the backlash happens of, you know, what about rape and what about incest? And I just remind us of what the word of God says. One, your body is not your own. I don't understand it. I don't, me and Lan were talking about this. I, I told her yesterday, I said, I can see how a uh, non-Bible-believing woman can feel a certain way about certain things. I fully get that. I actually really do. Uh, but I actually have the Bible, and I believe that. And so even when the, what the Bible says doesn't line up with what my emotions are saying, I choose the Bible. And the Bible says that our bodies are not our own. And the second thing is, is he said he formed us in the womb. Not some sin that was committed against a young woman. That didn't form a person in the womb. It was a biological part of it. But he formed them in the womb. And I, we will never know some things we have to just trust the Lord on and say, Lord, I don't understand how that can be good. I don't, I don't know how that could happen. But I think we just have to believe in the redemption of the Lord that even he can take the worst of the worst and turn it for the best of the best. Because at the end of the day, they are lives, they are humans. And uh, I, what happened this, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade was God's hand on a, on a country saying, I haven't forgotten about the United States of America. And although America has turned on some, in some ways away from God, he has not turned away from America. And he loves us. He's watching over us. Don't ever forget that because I did not believe in my lifetime I would see this. 100% did not believe in my lifetime that I would see this. And so uh, it's, it's pretty sobering to be up here uh, the Sunday after that. It somewhat goes with, in, my, in some ways, it goes with what I want to talk about today, this, this message called Christian confrontation. Um, you know, confrontation's an odd thing. Um, I've, if you've ever been in a, in a confrontation, raise your hand if you've ever been in a confrontation, like a serious one. I mean, man, where I, your emotions, your body, your nerves, your heart's pounding, all the things. I've been in confrontations that they came at me and I didn't do anything to deserve it. I've been in confrontations where I brought the fight and it doesn't seem to matter. Both have these, these really uh, unique, uh, this really unique effect on our, our, our body, our minds. And, and I'll just say this, I'm of the persuasion that most confrontation that we've ever experienced had more flesh than it did spirit in it. It had more flesh than it did spirit in it. And so because of that, I don't think most of us have a good taste in our mouth about confrontation. I mean, let's just, who hates confrontation? You just, you don't like it. And uh, most of us don't. I sometimes get a reputation for love and confrontation. I don't love confrontation. I love the fruits of confrontation. And if you're like me at all, sometimes I'll find myself in a situation where I'll have the anointing and I'll confront a situation, but then afterwards I'm replaying everything I said, everything they said. I, I'll, I'll have that. I'll rehab that conversation a hundred different times for the next couple of weeks. Anybody else ever go through that where you're like, this confrontation has lasted a year, you know? Um, and so, and for that reason, I think we've all come to, to really hate it. And um, I, I wrote it this way. Most of us, I propose that most of us have been in confrontations before, hate how it feels, hate the results, and therefore we hate confrontation. And I think because of that, there are things that because of our having seen confrontation done in the flesh, not in the spirit, we're actually uh, letting our guard down in areas that actually require confrontation. Uh, simply put, confrontation is biblical. I uh, often, well, most times when I'm writing a message, I kind of go through a, a couple things. And the first thing I, I have to do because I, 
feel like I got, uh, oftentimes my head's going in a bunch of different directions and I so value, I just want to know that God, whatever I preach today is what I was supposed to preach today. I didn't just pull some message out that I, that I had. I really want to know that it's the word of the Lord. And so when I'm trying to, you know, navigate what's God saying for me and my family, what's he saying for the church, what's he just talking to Braden about, you know? And um, so I ask myself these questions when I'm getting ready to prepare a message. One, what are you really trying to say? Uh, boil it down. And two, does that even matter? Does what you're trying to say matter? Does it help? Does it, is, is it is affecting people's lives in a positive way? Is it advancing the kingdom? Is it demonstrating the goodness of God? All these different questions. And the third thing I do is I say, okay, well, here's what I'm trying to say, and I think that it matters, and so what's the best way to say this? Uh, when I was pre- preparing this particular message, I was having a hard time summing it up in a, like a sentence. This, this is exactly what I'm trying to say, and I remember telling the end, like I'm having a hard time just just really narrowing it down. And so what I did, which I've never done before, is I just began to write out my thoughts as if I were writing a book, like to open to a book about this. And uh, so I wrote it all out and I asked Leanne, I was like, what, if I just started with this, how would this feel? And she said, I think it'd be a great way to start. And so if you don't like it, blame Leanne. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, this, is the, this was the best way for me to, to really lay this out. Uh, so here it goes. Um, concerning the idea of confrontation, I'm concerned that we as Christians are either ignorant, confused, deceived, or maybe even because of previous experiences with confrontation now lack the courage, the faith, and the conviction to engage in Christian confrontation. Some Christians might even believe that confrontation is either non-biblical, judgmental, or maybe even a violation of the command of love. They've only seen confrontation come from a place of the flesh, full of anger, dishonor, manipulation, and pride, at which point I would say I understand the hesitation. But I would still say that more than likely, the larger population of Christians believe that confrontation is both biblical and necessary, but they lack the courage, the faith, or the selflessness to risk their own comfort, safety, and or reputation to actually engage in it. But to gain clarity on the concept of Christian confrontation, simply taking a look at the life of Jesus immediately makes it clear confrontation is biblical, necessary, and I would even say imperative if we are to be followers of Jesus and advancers of his great kingdom. I've heard it said that in order to love what God loves, we must also learn to hate what God hates. Well, God loves people. He loves people so much that he was willing to send his only son, Jesus, to create a pathway back to the life that he had intended for us all along, a life of prosperity and peace and purpose, a life uninhibited, a life of uninhibited connection and relationship with both God and man. He loved us so much that he created a pathway back to Eden, And God especially loves this church. That's why he refers to us as the bride of Christ. People should and most do carry a general love and respect for humanity at large. But it pales in comparison to the love we feel for our covenant partners, our husbands, and our wives. Similarly, there's an intimate connection that God maintains only for those who are in covenant relationship with him. A covenant sealed by the blood of Jesus. But this type of love should also ignite in us an undeniable hatred for anything that violates or hurts people, that violates or hurts his church. When we see or experience these types of violations, I believe that love and hate should collide on the inside of us just like I believe they did and still do inside of Jesus and leave us no other perceived option than confrontation but Christian confrontation. Uh, Because this can be a a bit of a weightier message, I'm... I'm choosing today to start with only examples of how Jesus handled things. I, I, um, I sometimes take a, 
uh, an issue with people saying, you know, the Bible says a lot of things, but just focus on the words of Jesus. I do believe that. But I also, if we believe that the rest of the scripture was breathed by the Holy Spirit, I don't think we have to insult the Holy Spirit just to say something nice about Jesus. So all the book is equal. But I do think it's, it, it, just for the case of this message, I'd like to focus, first of all, on just situations where Jesus confronted and asked the questions, asked the who, the what, the where, the when, the how of confrontations. Who did Jesus confront? How did he confront them? Why did he confront them? When and where did he confront them? All of these things matter. And so I really want to look at that. And, and I'll just say this. I, I said in the first service, if you, if, you're not a, if you don't have a subscription to Bethel TV, I would really encourage you to get one. It's, it's, I listen to it every week. You can actually get it on YouTube. You can hear all the, the messages there on YouTube as well. But a couple, uh, last Sunday, Father's Day Sunday, Chris Valentin taught a message uh, called The Return of Masculinity. And it was just one of the most, I mean, just piercing messages I've heard in a really long time. And he highlighted, it was interesting, that some of the things I said a couple of weeks ago, he actually said in his message on Father's Day, which just makes it clear that he listens to my podcast. And, um, uh, or maybe we both listen to the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I prefer the previous reason. But um, no, seriously, he, uh, the, the return of, masculinity I really encourage you to listen to that I think you'll get a lot out of it and it'll add to some of the things that we're gonna we're gonna say say today it's also important to note that Jesus what Jesus did when he came to earth was so multifaceted obviously we highlight what he did at the cross which and we should and and not just the dying on the cross which is why we take communion every single Sunday Leanne already alluded to this it is we we have to keep him the main thing Jesus what he did for the on the cross it is the main thing it always will be the main thing but he didn't just die for our sins he was also beaten so that we could not just have heaven in heaven we could have heaven on earth and so those things are true but I I, I propose to you that Everything else he did up until the cross was also intentional. Jesus lived a life as an example for us of this is how we're supposed to live. He died on the cross to give us the power to live it. That's what happened. So everything we read in scripture is not just showing us what Jesus could do on earth. It's showing us, showing us what we could do on earth with him as our intercessor. It's an invitation to help advance the kingdom that he started that advancement, obviously, with what he did on the cross. So everything we see Jesus do, everything, I'm making a point here, everything he did, we're being invited into that same thing. So if Jesus was kind, we're being invited to be kind. If Jesus was patient with people, it's an invitation to be patient. If Jesus covered sinners when they were in their weakest moment, it is an invitation for us to do the exact same thing. However, if Jesus confronted people, if Jesus confronted sin, if Jesus confronted anything else, it's also an invitation for us to do the same thing. Does that make sense? We don't, we don't get to separate the kind of, he's like, you know, I love, I love lamb Jesus, not so hot on lion, on lion Jesus. And we sing the song, he's the lion and the lamb. Well, act like it. We have to act like it. Um, like I said, this is going to be a lot of fun. The rest of the service is just a ton of fun. Um, so again, it's an invitation. The first one should be easy because number one, Jesus confronted Satan. He, like he, and I even ended the word, he aggressively confronted Satan. I think we know that in theory. But my question is, are you actually doing it? When, when the enemy punches you, do you punch back? Are you even aware of when the enemy punched you? I'll give you an example. Uh, 
I, I don't think, because I don't think we're always aware of the fact that every single day of our lives, in some way, shape, or form, we are being attacked by the enemy. Don't think you've gone through a day where he said, you know what, let's just leave them alone today. Let's just, let's give them a day off. It's been a rough week. I know that. They need a day off. That's not how he operates. So if you've ever gone through a day where you go, wow, man, I didn't, I don't even think I even saw the devil, smelled the devil, heard the devil. I mean, this was pretty much an amazing day. You missed it. You missed it. In fact, I propose you got punched at some point in the day, didn't even realize who was punching you and never threw a punch back. Jesus confronted the enemy. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Let me just read this. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. You know the story. When Jesus was led to the... Well, actually, we don't want to speed through this because this is important. It says, Then Jesus was led by what? The Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Now, let me just back up just a minute to give you some, some context. This Matthew chapter 1, or Matthew chapter 4, is right after Matthew chapter 3. That's why they pay me the big bucks. Um... But in Matthew chapter 3, it's outlining the baptism of Jesus. It's all this symbolic stuff. It's the baptism of Jesus. As John baptized him, he came up out of the water. Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So there's the water baptism. Notice there's two things. Again, it's an invitation for us not to miss one or the other. Baptism in water, but baptism by the Holy Spirit as well. Two things. He's baptized in water, comes about, Holy Spirit comes, voice of the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. That was Jesus entering his ministry. That was him entering into his ministry. 30 years before that was training. And uh, Luke 2.52, Luke Jesus grew in wisdom, favor, stature of God, a man, that, that whole thing. So it was training for 30 years, but this is the ent- entrance into ministry. Notice, the first thing that happened when Jesus was going into his ministry was that the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness for a fight. He was led into a fight. I propose to you that um, some of you may or may not be walking in what you think God's called you to walk in because when you said yes to follow Jesus, you started following, ended up in a fight, convinced yourself this cannot be God's plan for my life. This, this is not the favor of God. This is not the goodness of God. This is not, oh, I, I know the Lord's speaking to me when he leads me into peace. Well, I'll just tell you this. God led his son Jesus into a fight with the devil. Jesus once told his disciples, get in that boat, go to the other, we're going to go to the other side. The, the, and here's what I picture. Jesus was saying, hey, great opportunity. I remember what my father did to me. I remember how he got me ready for the call of God on my life. He showed me how to fight. And the first thing he did before he sent me into my ministry is he did a little gut check. Are you ready to fight? Are you ready for the fight? So as soon as I got baptized, got the Holy Spirit, heard that my father was pleased with me, then he sent me off to fight the devil. <laughs> so he's like, I got an idea. Disciple, if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for my disciples. The father led his son into a fight. The son led his disciples into a fight. What makes you think you're any different? Oftentimes we end up in fights and think, oh wait, this isn't, this isn't feel good. This doesn't feel good. So we backpedal and we, what we don't realize is the Lord took us there, not so that we would be defeated. Here's the, here's the big thing. Every fight he's leading in you into, you have the victory if you'll punch back. The only way you lose is if you don't punch back. If you don't punch back, it will not feel good. You will be depressed. You will be insecure. 
You will not power through things and push through things and fight through things that you need to fight through. Sometimes the Lord is sending you to a fight so you will know what you're packing. He needs you to know that. He needs you to know the authority that you've been given. But I want you to notice this. It says, Darren, uh, uh, he sent him to be tempted by the devil. Verse 2, for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. Imagine that. During that time the devil came and said to him, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say. No, the scriptures say. What was G- Right off the bat, what was the weapon he used to confront the devil with? The scriptures, the word of God. But people don't live by bread alone, by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. Things try to be a little sneaky, sneaky. The devil tried to play, play scripture back with him. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands. So you won't even hurt your foot on stone. I feel like the Lord told me to just say this right now. Some of you, you need to know this. The devil knows scripture. But, and I'm not being crass, but he's a pervert. So here's what he does. He perverts the scripture. If he knows you're a scripture believer, he knows he can't come with you with a pitchfork and horns. We, We know what that looks like. But what if I take the scripture and just twist it a little bit, pervert it just a little bit, so some of you just know that not everything that sounds like a scripture is God talking. So he comes in and says, well, the scripture says this. But what did Jesus respond with? Verse 7. But the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I will give it to you all. How could the devil possibly give God, I'm sorry, Jesus, who was God on earth, how could the devil possibly give Jesus the keys to the kingdom? Because Satan got the keys of the kingdom when Adam and Eve did what they did. Understand this. He got the keys to the kingdom. And Jesus came to get them back. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. What a, what a crook. Here's what he did. And this is what the enemy oftentimes does for us as well. He tries to say, oh, here's what you were promised, the keys of the kingdom. Let me give you a shortcut. How many times does the enemy come and propose a shortcut to us? We don't want to go through the hard stuff. We want the shortcut. There are no shortcuts to the call of God on your life. What did, what did Jesus say? Now, this is the Texas International Version, verse 10. He said, get on out of him. <laughs> He said, get out, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So simple. I will worship the Lord and serve him only. And the devil went away and the angels came and took care of him. I want you to notice this pattern where when the enemy punched, Jesus punched back with what? The word. I'm just telling you, you have to know the word. You have to read the Bible. Not so you can just check it off to say that you did. It's so when you get punched, you can punch back. Because the way we punch back is we open our mouth. Remember, the mouth, your words, are the activator of your new covenant. It's no longer a covenant of works, of, uh, of service. It is a covenant of faith that's activated with words. How did, how did God create the world? 
with words. How did you activate the new covenant to receive salvation? You believe in your heart and you did what? You confess with your mouth. It's, it's, a, it's a foreshadowing of here's how we activate everything in the new covenant. We open our mouth with the scriptures. You want to see more of God's goodness in your life? Open your mouth and activate the covenant. You want to see more things happen in your life, more power. You want your words to carry more weight. You want to see yourself lay hands on the sick and then recover. Make sure you're opening your mouth with the scripture. Let me give you an example of this. This is how I know, because I've gone through it myself. This is how you know that at times in your life you have uh, been in a fight, didn't even know it, got punched in the mouth and never punched back. Have you ever been just driving your car and had this fleeting random thought or this image pop up in your head of like you going through a stoplight and someone just running into you? Raise your hand if you've ever had anything like that. Funny how we've all had the same little random thought, right? If you're a mom in here, you'll get this one. Have you ever had the thought, especially now in this day and age, of sending your kids to school and then all of a sudden had imagery of something happening to your kid while they're at school? Have you ever had this, you've been sitting at home, minding your own business, and all of a sudden had this weird thought, I wonder if my husband's, my husband's cheating on me. I wonder if my wife's cheating on me. I'm, I mean, you I'm not going to raise your hand on all of these, but we have. Here's my point. You got punched. You got punched with a lie. The accuser of the brethren brought a, brought a false accusation into your mind of, of something could happen to your kid, something could happen to you, something could happen to your marriage. Anybody ever ha- just went to work one day and just had this strange thought? I think I'm, and I feel like this is actually somebody. I, the Lord just said, this is actually somebody. Somebody in here, you, go, you actually believe almost every day you're fixing it to get fired. Anybody ever had that where you're just like, I think I'm getting fired today. Like, I think today is the day. What happened? The enemy planted a lie in your head. He punched you. My question is, did you punch back? When that thought that uh, I'm going to go through this uh, red light and someone's going to T-bone me, when you had that fleeting thought, did you open your mouth and say, no, not today, Satan, because no weapon formed against me will prosper. Well, where'd, where'd you come up with that New King James language? No weapon formed against me will prosper. It's a scripture. It's a scripture. And if you don't know that scripture, when you have that thought, you won't, know, you won't actually have anything to punch back with. We have to know what the word of God says about every single area of our life so that we, when we go into the fight, which just so you know, if you ever raise your hand and say, Lord, I will serve you, I will follow you all the days of my life, get ready, he's bringing you into a fight. And he's bringing you into a fight and he wants to know, what will you do with my word? How do you feel about my word? Do you know how to use my word? Do you believe my word? When he said to the disciples, get in the boat, we are going to the other side. That became the word of the Lord. What should have happened on that, in that, when, the sea hap- when the storm came, what should have happened is a bunch of disciples went, wait a minute. The storm says we're going under. But he said we're going to the other side. I'm with him. That was what the word of the Lord said. And they could have used the word of the Lord. Somebody could have stood up in the middle of all and said, hey, everybody calm down. He said we're going to the other side. I'm as scared as you are. I think I just tinkled a little bit. But we said we're going to the other side. (laughs) I can't believe I said that. (laughs) And notice what didn't happen. This is so fascinating to me. This is the kind of Jesus I need you to get to know. 
Jesus, when these disciples, a bunch of chickens, didn't do what he said, didn't take him at his word, you know what he didn't do? Babies, come here. I, you know what? I shouldn't have done this. This was a bad idea. I totally understand your fear. I totally get your fear. You know what? As a leader, I've let you down. You know what he said? He said, what is wrong with y'all? Bunch of wimps? What is wrong? Why do you have no faith? See, we love the, again, we love, we love, uh, we love lamb Jesus. But when lion Jesus shows up, it's like, oh, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing controlling leadership. I'm sensing abusive leadership. I know, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> we have to know the word, and we have to believe in the word of God enough that even when every emotion on the inside of us is telling us that this is truth, that we give his word a chance to be true. When we have insecure thoughts, fearful thoughts, because these, I'm telling you, not a day goes by that every single one of us in this room don't have an insecure thought. You're not good enough. You're not rich enough. You're not the right color skin. You're not pretty enough. You're not skinny enough. I could, the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. My question to you is when he punches you, are you going to punch back? When he hits you with that, when he hits you with something that should make you insecure, and let me just remind you of this, the only thing he can ever make you, in, in, the only thing he can, the enemy can ever use to make you feel secure is who you are without him. And you have to remind him, I'm never without him. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. I'm hidden with Christ. You have to have that scripture in your mind so that when he tries to get you to look at your performance, you go, oh, no, no, no. See, that's the thing. It's not about my performance anymore. It's about his performance. Insecurity has no chance against real identity. If you deal with insecurity, if you deal with anxiety, you don't have an anxiety and insecurity problem. You have an identity problem. You're still finding too much of who you are in you instead of in him. That was a little free one. Um, Jesus confronted the enemy. The second thing Jesus confronted was he confronted sin. Jesus confronted sin. What did we say to start? Everything we see Jesus do is an invitation for us. Now this one's, this one's tricky. Um, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just, John chapter 4, I'll just quote some of these. John chapter 4, you know the story. Jesus is on his way to Galilee. He says he had to go through Samaria, which according to the map, if you look at it, actually didn't, but I think that he did for another reason. He ends up at this well. Disciples go into town to get him some food. Jesus is sitting there. This woman comes up. They start this conversation, which it's interesting enough that he's even talking to her because you're not supposed to talk to her. She wasn't even supposed to talk to a Samaritan woman. So they're having this conversation. In the middle of this conversation, Jesus says to her, hey, uh, why don't you go get your husband? Let's just invite him into this conversation. And she, she, feels, she starts to feel the pressure, and she's like, uh, how do I answer this question? And she just simply says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, well, you said that right. He said, you've had five husbands, and the dude you're shacking up with right now ain't your husband either. <laughs> just, dang, Jesus, coming in so hot, you know? <laughs> And she says the, one of the funniest things, I think, in all the scriptures. She says, I perceive you're a prophet. Really, do you? Such discernment. Um, 
And then the, the, the next few things that happen are so odd to me because they, they finish having a conversation. It's like, oh, we're supposed to worship on this mountain or this mountain. And anyway, before it's all said and done, the disciples come back. The lady goes into town and then tells a big, giant lie to the whole city. She said, come meet a man who told me everything about my life. He told her one thing. He literally just said one thing. But I propose to you, in just being in his presence, the conviction that she felt, for him to know that, I believe this is what happened. In her mind, she realized, if he knows that, he knows everything. And he summed up every issue in my life with just saying one thing. And was so convicted. Because let's just be honest, he pretty much called her out. He called her out. I had someone say this to me. I thought this was beautiful. Uh, Dee told me this when I was in Midland the other day. She said, notice he had, she had had five husbands before. She was with another man. But the seventh one that showed up was the real one. Interesting. He confronted this thing in, in even almost with a smart, smart aleck tone. You notice how he even like smart aleck prophesied over or called her out? Like, oh, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You had five and you're shacking up with another dude. So even, even the way he did it was interesting to me. She goes to town, tells this whopper, this come meet this man who told me everything. Here's why I think this is important. It says everyone from the town followed her back to meet him. And I propose to you that Jesus confronted sin to get sin out of her life, to restore the evangelistic call on her life. That's my belief. You tell me somebody else that can go, someone like her especially, who's probably got a reputation who with a few words can get a whole town to follow her. I'm telling you, she had an anointing on her life. She had a call on her life, but she had sin in her life keeping her from it. And Jesus loved her enough to confront the sin. My question is, do we love people enough to confront their sin? It's, it's high time that church staff are not the only ones governing the church. It's the principal's office. Someone's cheated on their husband, cheated on their wife, looking at porn, God, whatever. We send it up the chain to, in, to the pastor or whoever, whatever we think is the top of the food chain and say, hey, uh, so-and-so, da-da-da-da, we tattle, whatever. And then we send them to the principal's office. And that's, we think that's church government. When is the last time? The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. When, are, when is the last time that you, not on church staff, not pastor, anything, but believer, Jesus follower, advancer of the kingdom, convicted by what he tells us. When's the last time you saw something in one of your friends? You saw gossip. You, you were at a get together and you're like, hey, I know we kind of try to, we don't mind drinking and whatnot. And we usually have a couple of drinks, but I'm pretty sure I saw you have somewhere between six and 17. And said, hey, what, what's up with that? Is there a problem? Need some help? When, when's the last time, when's the last time that you heard somebody tell a racist joke and actually said, hey, that's actually not very funny? Well, I didn't laugh. You didn't confront it either. Let's just be honest. Think about, you're with your friends. You're all out, hang on, we're just having a good time. You're, this thought crosses your mind. If I confront, the evening is over. If I confront, the friendship is over. If I confront, you you tell you what that is? That's another lie of the enemy. Jesus, in his perfect wisdom, had the ability to be hard on sin and kind to sinners.
That's what we need to figure out how to do. Not how to be softer on sin. I think that's what we felt like we've had to do in recent years. We just need to be softer on sin to be more like Jesus. No, we need to have the wisdom to be hard on sin and confront sin and still be a friend of sinners. Jesus never was soft on sin, and yet the Bible says he was a friend of sinners. He, always, he got invited to all the parties. When's the last time you got invited to a sinner's party? Some of you are like, well, about eight hours ago? I'm still trying to recover from that one. Yeah. What's the point? You, you see it all through Scripture. I, there's other situations. The woman caught in adultery. Jesus confronting the disciples for their lack of faith in the storm. I've already talked about that one. Matthew 23. Go read this one in Matthew 23. Let me tell you who Jesus confronted harder than everyone? Religious people. I mean, just downright vicious. You know the story. He, 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 he fashioned a whip. Wants to, to drive out, not pigeons from the temple, people. He, wasn't he didn't fashion that whip thinking, I'm going to hit a pigeon with this, and then I'm going to go to the rest of the people and go, I am the Messiah, please leave. No, the whip was for the people. I still got a little few things I'm working out in my heart, and I picture it this way. I'm like, he walks in the temple, and there was that one little smart aleck dude that's like, what you going to do about it? And Jesus like, mm-hmm, you're first. I'm hitting him first. I mean, he was, he was lying, Jesus. He cared about things. He confronted things. He was, he was hard on things. And I, and I think some of us, we have to ask ourselves, do I, and again, we're, we're going to get it wrong. Sometimes we confront people, we, tell, we get in people's face, and you know what? It's really self-righteousness. We're feeling better. It, it's not for all the right cause. But just because sometimes it's not for the right reasons doesn't mean not sometimes it's not for the right reasons. There needs to be a righteousness on the inside of you and a righteous anger on the inside of you that if you have a friend, if you love that friend, if, you, if you're in a church and you love that church, if anything is being done, the Bible says the wages of sin is what? death. If there is any sin going on, it's leading to death. You need to love that person, love that church, love his pride enough to go, hey, that's really not that funny. I've been there. I've, and I, that's the one I hate the worst right now is just, it's racism. Because one of the reasons some things are still going on is because people just don't confront them. I had to get, and a good friend of mine, I, I love him. I really love him dearly. Two, actually, two of them. One, he, I remember him on a, on a, we were riding on a, on a trip together, hunting trip together, and he said, look, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a racist, but I'm just telling you, my, my daughter will never marry someone black or Mexican. And I, I just looked him right in the face, and I was like, are you, are you actually saying the words that I think you're saying? And I'm at, clearly, and, and we got, and I'm telling this with my really good friends, and I mean, the rest of that trip was awkward. And I, it would have been real easy for me to feel righteous in my silence. That'd have been real easy. So, well, I, I just let it go, and that—that's him, not me. You know what? That's him heading towards death. That's him saying he—and he's—he's got a reputation for being a Christian. That's him saying, "Hey, people follow him as he follows Christ, except for in this one area, because apparently he don't believe in some of this." I've, I've, and I had another friend. I had to get really, really strong on it. And it's like, gossip? I mean, you're sitting there with all your friends and all of a sudden you say, man, y'all think that's bad. Y'all should have heard about old so-and-so. 
When's the last time when that sentence started, you went, hey, hey, are you fixing gossip? I'm just checking. Just make sure we're on the same page because I was pretty sure we don't do that. Now, what, when you go to that length to confront, what do you know is about to happen? Brunch is over. <laughs> Brunch, lunch, dinner, vacation, everything. Why? Because, can I just say this? This is a, this is going to get a little, maybe just a tad stouter. Because most people grew up in a home where they actually weren't disciplined. So from a young age, they've never had someone really push back. They were never really trained. They were never trained to honor authority. They were never trained on, hey, if I say no, the answer is no. So from a young age, they've started having this, you can't tell me what to do. Their parents can't tell you what to do. The police can't tell you what to do. In school now, teachers can't even tell you what to do. Like there's this, you can't tell me what to do. So they bring that dysfunction into the church and a Christian brings something to them and they, they have to find a Christian word, just like the devil. They take a scripture and they twist it. And they're like, man, that's so judgmental of you to say that to me. And they use, they use an accusation of judgment to cover up their conviction. They feel it. They don't like how it feels. So they, oh, you know what? I, I was talking with one of our band members about this. No, that, that, that actually is not me judging you. That's you being convicted. You just don't know how to deal with this. And guess what happens? I'm just going to give you a heads up when you learn, when you start engaged in some of this you'll you'll confront you'll say something to a friend and usually your first time you'll screw up about 40 percent of it 50 percent of it you'll be like it'd be like 50 percent flesh or 50 percent spirit 50 percent flesh because you'll because what do we learn about confrontation when you're in a confrontation your heart starts racing come on you know what i'm talking about and you're trying to do the right thing, but you're like, oh, God. And then you start saying so many words. So many words just start coming out. And his words start to become your words. And, now, and you, you started off on a good note, but then you, you diverted. <laughs> and you got off into the flesh. And then, now, and then what's going to happen is you're going to get done with it. And they're going to be mad at you. And then you're going to sit there, like we said earlier. And you're going to play, oh, gosh, I shouldn't have said this. And you're going to play it over and over in your head over and over again. And the, the emotions of it are going to try to convince you that it wasn't worth it. The friendship fallout is going to try to convince you that it wasn't worth it. But what if you advance the kingdom? What if you plant, what if they leave your life, but a seed is still in there? And what if they get so ticked, I'm never coming back to that church. I'm never, that's fine. But you got to go to the next church with the seed in there. And my Bible teaches me that one man plants, another man waters, but God's going to get his increase. <laughs> and I think we have to have enough conviction because it's going to happen. When you embrace this, people will leave your life. They left Jesus' life nonstop. <laughs> Apparently Jesus' ministry plan was start big and get small. The exact, have <laughs> you thought about it? It's, hey, we started gathering masses, and next thing you know, before it's all said and done, it's like... Where my dogs at? <laughs> you have to, by conviction of the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, you've got to learn to navigate the emotional side of this, the, the, the biological, emotional side of this, because confrontation is not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but it is imperative if you say, Jesus, where you go, I'm going to. Because Jesus picks fights. 
picks fights in countries that have laws that let you kill babies. He picks fights. And I'm asking, I'm telling you, I'm not being smart like about what I'm about to say. I really do believe this. The next several months and even years are so important because now that this has happened, you're already seeing it. I mean, the, the response from the other side is so vicious, is so vile, is so ugly. And I saw, I saw a, a picture on uh, one of my buddy, uh, Jason Valentin's Instagram pages. It was a picture of a, a woman sitting in a chair holding up a sign, my body, my choice, and Jesus was down there washing her feet. Just, and I'll end right here. The point of confrontation is not division, it's reconciliation. But the enemy wants to convince you otherwise. You don't confront just to look right, to feel smart. To, no, that's not why we're doing this. It's actually to bring back. Sin divides. It hurts. It damages. Satan, he comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. But thank God Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. Amen. Okay, this is actually the last thing I'm going to say. There's this phrase that's been rolling around in my head. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start digging on it a little more. But some of us are going to have to reparent ourselves. Because we were not raised in an environment where we were actually ever challenged by a strong, male, aggressive even dad that was fully man. But, I mean, he, he had a character. But he was a man, man's man. And some of us were not ra- We were raised in homes. In fact, most Christian homes were led by women. We know that. Um, Dads are kind of absent on the spiritual side of things. And so uh, many kids, most kids, have never really seen strong male leadership. And because of that, we actually have to go back and repair ourselves in some ways that actually open up a whole new side to the Father that we've never, we never knew existed. Or we'll read scriptures and go, wow, that doesn't, that, man, how can that even be true? Well, that's because that's lying, Jesus. That's the line speaking, and you're not used to that. And so just let that, I felt like I was supposed to just leave that there. Just leave that in your mind. You, some of us have to go back and reparent ourselves to reestablish a foundation in the natural so that God can build on it in the spiritual. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon.